Hello and welcome to another extra special, extracurricular, extra spectacular episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age Two-Year Edition. Ken, we're never going to get that down. (laughs) We're never going to figure this out, Kenneth Shepard, because I, Eric Van Allen, as one of our co-hosts here, has never been able to peg down a good subtitle for this. So joining us today to give us the best possible subtitle... Uh, for our Thetis edition of Normandy FM is one Heather Alexandra. How you doing? Hi, that's me. Do I have to come up with a title all of a sudden? Yes. No, off, nobody has to do that. The, no, no. Well, this is the new thing. I'm instituting it now. It's happening. I'm getting getting mixed signals here. Uh, fuck the pole lease, right? Because two. That's because the kid's name is Pole. He's he's a okay. A, a, a elf. I don't know. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna put that in the we're gonna put that in the back. We're gonna hold on. I to don't that like one. that kid. He's really mean to Meryl, but that, we'll talk about that later. We will talk about that later uh, because we are here to talk about some really really interesting characters, uh, Meryl and Anders. And before we even get into that, Heather, I want to breach something that you brought up like literally right before we hit. Oh, we're doing this right record. away. You said, and I quote. Dragon Age 2 is my favorite bio might be my favorite Bioware game. Yes. Let that's... let me hear the the thoughts and the reasoning on this. Um I prefer games that uh, focus more on like smaller conflicts. So to me while I like Dragon Age Origins um and kind of appreciate uh some of what it's doing in terms of using the dark spawn um and the blight as a way to recontextualize and like experiment with a slay the dragon story i find that the broad strokes of that story are pretty boring to me i don't like the companion characters as much either um like i don't know i could take or leave a lot of those characters in dragon age origins quite frankly um You're I, among actually friends. Think that, <laughs> I think i think the cast in awakening might actually be more interesting than the cast in origins Ooh. um even though they don't get too much to to work with because it's a very short expansion um I like I like games that focus on like s- social problems. Like mm-hmm. Dragon, this is this is one of the moments where Dragon Age or like this game in particular is where Dragon Age starts to really start to use its uh, certain aspects of its setting in really cool allegorical ways. Um, and it does this a little bit in Inquisition as well, even though Inquisition has like a big high level story of like kill the evil magister, blah 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 blah. Um, but that game has a lot to say about like religion and persecution and things like that. Um, a little bit imperfectly, I, I think using fantasy um, tropes and sort of fantasy identities as allegory or like uh, comparative points for like real world politics is a little problematic in a lot of ways. Uh, I said little and then a lot. Uh, but, but, but what I mean <laughs> is that I like what this game is doing. Um, even though some of the comparisons are like imperfect. Um, And frankly, I like Dragon Age like way more than I've ever liked Mass Effect. Um, Mostly because I don't like the core conceit of being a specter. I I think that's a really messy core conceit. I think it's fundamentally the same thing that happens when you play a game like The Division, except it's just in an RPG. It's like what what makes you special. Um, You could say, oh, it's because Shepard's really special and powerful or like smart or whatever and really really the thing that makes commander shepherd the most special for a while is that commander shepherd is like the super cop can just do whatever mm. i don't really i don't really care for that i'd much rather be like a a purple hawk sarcastic loser who happens to get caught up in stuff than some sort of special operative or whatever 
when we were uh <clears throat> sorry i'm froggy today uh when we were talking earlier this week uh this week this podcast series about hawk and just like the sarcastic hawk and how when you play that character it always feels like you're just this happy-go-lucky rogue who's like oh no looks like i got myself caught up in another giant political conflict oh boy they, like that's they really are, fun <laughs> they're perfect joe wyatt in particular for female hawk is like perfectly mm-hmm. cast so so good um it's like 90 percent the reason i like siri in the witcher is because it's just hawk and it's great <laughs> um it's fun it's fun to have a, a character who is um not at least to start with a mover and a shaker and then also who gets just as exasperated with nonsense as you might um which mm-hmm. is really cool and i don't know it's you're not special you're not like the gray warden or the inquisitor you I mean you become the champion of kirkwall but what the hell does that mean kirkwall's like a horrible place you don't want to be a champion in that place i i think like I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh currently ken and i uh in our own playthroughs are on inquisition right now uh yes. working our way through that and I just got to the part, and sorry, this, this is not spoilers, I promise, for everyone out we'll there. Be, just, we'll uh, be really vague. Yeah, uh, I got to Skyhold, and cool. this this whole point where I, I'm finally there, and throughout that game, they're kind of building up, or trying to build up the Inquisitor as this reluctant hero that eventually takes the mantle, or who seizes it right away. You know, they, they put in different ways for you to choose that, but I was just thinking the whole time about how Hawk was... Hawk's story starts with them just trying to get by like them trying to live in Kirkwall them trying to deal with the ramifications of all the things that are kind of happening on the periphery of what the warden does like I thought that was a really interesting way to start this game was that the warden deals with kind of larger broader stuff you know they're working on a larger world map and they're going to all these different places and doing these treaties but here you see hawk being directly affected by the events of ostagar and and they're just trying to run and live and then you just happen to stumble into some things and become important but you don't start out with this sort of mission from on high that you are going to be chosen in some way Right. One of the first thing the first thing that happens in this in this game is that your family is running from Lothering, mm. the first mm. town that you Lothering, really come yes. across in in Origin, and then also which gets destroyed without you ever knowing it unless you try and go back to it in the original game. Mm-hmm. So like even Lothering getting destroyed for the warden is like no big deal. You can go through the entire game and never know that Lothering gets destroyed. But for Hawk, it's like a huge deal because that's their mm-hmm. home. Um, Dragon Age Two is really cool. It the only the the reason that I think it gets such a bad rap is because it's Dragon Age 2 and it wasn't ever supposed to be Dragon Age 2. It was never supposed to be called Dragon Age 2 at least to start with. It's going to be Dragon Age Exodus. Mm. It was going to be a like integral game and then people in suits were like, what if we put a 2 on it and ship, <laughs> shipped it for the holidays? And that and that kind of that kind of screwed over a lot of really good work, I think. And you end up with this Act 3 that as we've been talking about Act 3, it just kind of readily becomes how much like briefer and and like less i don't want to say less focused but act three really like tries to start at a high gear coming off of what is like an incredible climax with the air shock fight and all that and then it's just kind of like oh hey by the way mages templars let's do this real quick three missions let's go like it's yeah meredith is just like shift meredith is just like completely on one all of a sudden Mm -hmm. like even way more than usual (laughs) 
and the and time they skip to, doesn't help. <laughs> the yeah, they're just like, by the way, three they years have to later. come up with all these like different reasons for it too. They're like, uh, a lot of time has passed and things are tense. Uh, there was a red lyrium idol, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's like okay. It's, uh, but one of the things, and we'll segue now. One of the things that I found really interesting this time playing through it was how different Meryl's journey feels through the game for me because the first time I played Dragon Age 2 Meryl was my love interest I played male rogue hawk and um I just I thought Meryl was the coolest definitely part of it was me just going like oh hey naive like weird kind of quirky pixie dream girl over here who's also blood magic elf like cool (laughs) yeah no there was definitely like a zoe deschanel element to it but you're not wrong i love meryl like let's establish right like meryl is fantastic she's one of my favorite characters in this game but Mm -hmm. also yeah like looking at her now like because i played this game in college or something years ago now it feels like it's like my thoughts towards meryl's situation has changed considerably it's, I think there's such a different kind of reading that I get from the end of her story and, and the way it goes, because especially if you get on the rivalry path, because we start out Act 3 and we find out that she is still at work on the Alluvian. She is just constantly working on this thing, uh, poking away at it. Um, the Ken, the thing is still bugged for me where it's like, it thinks that I gave her the tool yep. to fix the mirror, even though I did not because I like maxed out friendship or whatever. So that's fun. She's just like, thank you for giving me that tool. And I was like, no, I did not give that to you. <laughs> you were very, very mad about it. But um, we, we come back from three years and she's still working on this mirror. She's still convinced that it's going to work. Uh, and then eventually she pitches us on the idea of hey um what if we went and talked to that demon that that i worked with all that time ago to try and finish this here mirror and i think when i was when i first played this again i was in i was in college when i played dragon age 2 as well and i think i just kind of breezed over this stuff because my thoughts were always like oh well mage is good templar's bad so if Meryl knows what she's doing, then Meryl knows what she's doing. Mm. Whatever, let's go talk to a demon. That'll be wacky and fun. To, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, mage is good. Templars are bad. Templars are bullshit. Yes, but I yeah, oh, you're right. It's it's we, definitely there's there's gradations here that maybe, um, especially I, I think it's easy to fall into the trap of like if you're doing like a friendship route to just like do that without thinking. It's like one of the problems of being like I'm going to be a paragon or a renegade mm-hmm. with, when you're shepherd. Um, you just kind of stick with it, but I think this game wants you to feel a little bit more conflicted, and I think the first time you play through the game, you probably don't, but Meryl, Meryl isn't making the best decisions. Uh, mm-hmm. Hot take. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, she, maybe she should stop. Uh, we, we talked about this last week, but I'm like a people pleaser, so I naturally friendship everyone in this game, no matter what. Like, naturally, always... he says. This is a natural Look. phenomenon, he says. That he's well, somehow sure able it's... to make everybody love him, despite these yeah, people sure on it's... directly opposite sides of everything. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure it's not like a pocket full of like a bunch of gifts that you're selling, like handing them on the side or anything. Like, well, I know I did your the quest the way that you didn't quest. like it, but here's a, here's a book that you really like or whatever. Well, yeah, you do the gift quest because you found a nice little trinket. You want to bring it to Fenris. You want to say, hey, I, I, I was thinking of you. I thought you'd like this. Not like, oh, hey, I was Fenris. thinking of you and you suck. Take this blade. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um 
no, you threw that back I, at me. Yeah. It, I, I mean, most of it, like, we went over it before that. I'm just like, look, if I'm going to do a mission where I'm going to be doing some, like, mage hunting, probably not going to bring Anders on that one. I don't think he'd be happy about that. And, like, Inquisition can skirt this a little bit where even characters who aren't in your party... uh, They'll still disapprove of, like, major decisions. Yeah, because they'll hear, you know, you go back to, like, Skyhold or, or Haven or whatever and, you know, people talk and stuff. That's the way I like to envision it, but... Uh, yeah, it felt kind of, I always, I always do that, but with, with Meryl, it felt really weird to try and push back against her stuff because part of, and this is kind of like spinning into what a lot of the conflict was for me in, in this here, this act three companion arc, pushing back against her sometimes feels like pushing back against her own desire to discover her culture and uncover the things about her past that she feels need to be uncovered. And so... I constantly felt at odds during this mission, uh, A New Path, where I wanted to encourage the idea of exploring the Alluvian and repairing it and making it better and even like trying to reconnect her with her clan and stuff like that and mend some bridges. But at the same time, like, don't mess with demons. But also, if I tell her not to do that, it sounds like I'm being like, no, don't look into your culture. That's dumb. Don't do and that. And I think that's I think that's the fault of the game more than anything else. Like, we can have our best intentions and in how we want to approach this, but the game only gives us so many tools to do that, which we talked about, like, in the last, her last Act 2 quest, where, like, the only way for you to even push back against her doing things that involve demons is to literally take something from her culture from her. So, I even, like, we'll get to the, through this mission, and I don't ever really feel great about the ways in which I am able to be her rival mm. but it just seems to be the system they have in place don't really let you do anything else right and i think some of the fundamental conflict with meryl isn't necessarily just like i mean it can be to an extent hey your methods are going to endanger yourself or others right like that's the core of her conflict with keeper marathari but i think a lot of it too is a question about um at what point um does an almost like dogmatic reverence for you know past culture or even a culture that you don't fully like because they don't really completely have a grasp upon like what old ancient elven culture really is it's all wrapped in fable and um and allegory right we don't really Mm -hmm. learn a lot about old the realities of old elven culture until way later in dragon age inquisition quite frankly um so so part of the issue with meryl and and part of the reason I think the conflict could be more interesting, you know, if they stress this was this notion of, you know, how do you how do you address the suffering of a people, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, part of that can be to connect yourself to a history, connect yourself to a lineage that gives you a sense of pride and purpose. But also, if we look at what Meryl's doing, she's almost doing this to a, an to such an extent that she's not really engaging with the space around her, right? Like, what does she do when she's in the alienage, right? She's mostly in her house, not really engaging with the people around her, right? Mm-hmm. Who who are her people, right? Despite, I mean, we can say what all the stuff we want to say about the differences between Dalish elves and, and city elves, right? That's a whole can of worms. But really, like, these are people who are fundamentally oppressed by humans. Mm-hmm. And Meryl's way of dealing with a lot of that is to um 
try and dig for for history that can give her a pride that kind of lets her hold her head up above the muck um but she doesn't really do as much to to help people around her um there, there's she doesn't have like a really she's not really a good like class ally she's not like mm. she's just kind of doing her own thing and i think that's one of the issues looking at it now with meryl's like my big issue with a lot of what she does is that she just kind of almost does it for the sake of herself and her own mm. um uh, sense of personal identity whereas like she's a talented mage and all sorts of stuff she could be just helping people around her constantly but she really doesn't that uh that sheds a little bit more light on something that we're getting to, which is the the concept of pride. But we'll get there in a moment. Oh, um, I see what you did. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, eventually, I mean, no matter what, we, we end up deciding that we're going to help Meryl in some way. And as we, we head up to Sundermount, I thought it was really interesting that you have this ability here to talk to Keeper Marathari as you go up. It's, like, not necessary. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. You can just pass her on by. But you can kind of stop and talk to her and be like, hey, listen, like, we're going up to Sundermount. We're going to talk to the demon. Like, do, do you think we should put a stop to this? <laughs> like, you, you can kind of turn to Marithari for, for help in a little bit of way here to be like, hey, talk some sense into, like, I literally went with the please talk some sense into Meryl because at this point, like, my hawk who had, been you know supportive up to this point was starting to grow increasingly concerned that this was not going to do well but also did not know how to tell Meryl this was not going to go well was desperately looking for an out from somebody else mirroring my own life so so well <laughs> um but uh as as we climb up further and further we get to Whoa, hold on hold on oh, hold on, hold on. Let's, got let's address the fact we want to talk that, about my this... car Yes, this clan has been here for six years with no oh, apparent just goals. Been hanging out. And just like, I, I, any chance I get to point out that the, the time skip stuff of this game is like fucking terrible. I can't, I want to do it. Because, like, Meryl even asks, like, why are you still here? As if, like, it, it's weird to me to think that they have been here this long and she and Meryl have not had this conversation at any point in the past six years. Like, why are you still here? Because you know they have to cross paths in some way at some point. And yet well, they're they're doing their thing up on Sundermount, and she's doing her thing down in the alienage and and at Hawk's house, presumably if you've romanced her and all that. So I don't know, just it's fucking weird. And like it's weird, it's almost weirder that they bring attention to it without like a really satisfactory answer. It it feels almost like like foreboding in a way. Like, hey, why are you still here? And I I felt like maybe just because I have played this game before that there's like an implication there that it has something to do with the fact that Meryl is still trying to build the Alluvian and all that, that that's the reason why, why they could still be there is because, Hey, maybe those two things are related and all that. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, just... <laughs> g- given, given what actions Marathari takes, I, I think you could, I mean, if you want to plug in that, that gap that hole mm-hmm. a little bit you could say that she's probably just really staying for meryl mm-hmm. right i think is what you're mm-hmm. kind of Im- implying there to a certain extent and you, you we can argue whether or not that's sensible um in terms of storytelling or even for like a decision as her on her part as like a character but i think some of it really is that she's just like there's some degree of attachment between these these two people despite their disagreements that th- there's no way 
that um that the or at least for Marathar, she can't just like take the clan and, and like move away necessarily. Right. Leave Meryl to her own vices, as it right. were. And yeah, I th- I was trying to think about like in the past in Dragon Age how often they've really expressed why a Dalish clan would set down roots and then why it would lift up and move on again, and like what kind of reasoning there is there and stuff like that. But again, like. Elven culture is not something we really get to explore until Inquisition, I feel like. It's also, it's also like one of the few, well, not one of the few, but it's like kind of what I was talking about before when I talked, when I mentioned in passing the idea of like allegorical representation being a little weird because clearly a lot of the stuff that's happening with the Dalish is being lifted to a certain extent from like itinerant ethnic groups like Irish travelers or Mm -hmm. Romani or things like that. And so there's, there's like a visual iconography and and certain stuff going on there um, that's being translated from our world into a fantasy setting. And I don't always feel like Dragon Age or really a lot of Bioware games or any fantasy game really reckons with like the implications of that or how like one-to-one they want to track on that uh, necessarily um, in terms of what motivates some of these groups or or things like that. so I think that's one of those cases where we know that they move around. We know that there's a degree of, you know, ethnic persecution, mm-hmm. uh, right? We know there's segregation in cities. We know that basically the Dalish tribes are just like one huge wandering diaspora for like centuries. Um, but they, but they don't really get into like this. The game's not really interested in, in that. At least this game. It's it's not too dissimilar from like the Koreans in Mass Effect, where you have the same sort of like wandering, wandering group of people that you know once had an empire and then it was kind of brought to to ruin. But Dragon Age is much more direct, whereas like the Koreans are able to like they've got their flotilla, they've got the migrant fleet and all that. Um, they have much more agency in what they are, whereas the elves like you have either the Dalish who are kind of out traveling around. Or you have the city elves who are thrust into the alienage, and that's like this. It's it's a very like it's a similar idea, but it's a very different framing of the two. And so when we get to something like this, where it's like, why why are the Dalish elves still here? Like I keep coming up with the answer, like I don't actually know that much about the Dalish elves to be able to like think of the reason. Like, well, why wouldn't they be here? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Mm. Um, just something I've been thinking, especially playing Inquisition as an Elven character, um, and and even playing Origins as an Elven character, which I did for the first time for this podcast as well. It opens up a lot more of this game to try and tell some of that story. Whether it like succeeds or fails is a different story. But um, yeah, I think it's... I think a lot of my differences looking at Meryl's plotline now is intimately tied up with what I know about Dalish culture now. Yeah. Um, like it can't, it can't, it can't not be like the way that I perceive what Meryl is doing is completely tied by, uh, you know, and changed by this broader metatextual knowledge that I have where I go like, Oh, kiddo, like no way. Um, whereas before, like there, there's a strength to the vagueness on your first time playing through. Whereas like, I think our lack of knowledge sometimes can be used lack of knowledge of Dalish culture can be used to kind of empathize a little bit with Meryl's desire to like really Mm. connect with Mm. something like we don't even understand it too. And so maybe through her, we can come to understand this very important 
very powerful thing as well. And now, you know, five years later, how many years later it's been since I've actually played the game and I've played other games. It's like, oh boy, I feel bad. I feel bad for this kid. Mm-hmm. Well, we're about to feel a lot worse because we're going to climb that Sunder Mount. And when we get what to the top... What a segue! <laughs> wow! I try. I practice. I've had multiple podcast episodes to practice. Dang! Daniel? Can remember when I used to make you mad with our podcast segues? Like, not mm-hmm. even Normandy FM, but like way back, the way, way back in the old, the podcast days we don't speak of anymore. <laughs> I used to infuriate you with segues. Well, how, you've grown how so the much. I know, right? Um, if only that podcast existed anymore so you could just understand how much. How, how painful. Speaking of pain, let's get to the top of Sundermount. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, see, that's more like the olden times. When some uh, uh, We're up there. We're going to try and commune with a demon. Only, surprise, the demon that's been caught up at the top of Sundermount that Meryl had communed with in the past doesn't seem to be waking up right away. And, um, oh boy, things start to escalate at this point. Um as we're hanging out and trying to talk there, uh, Marathari shows up and, uh, as, as we soon learn, uh, the demon, I I forget the order of events here. So Ken, maybe help me out here. If I'm misremembering certain order of events, the, the demon was not able to be contained solely by the shrine there, right? Like it was too powerful to just be contained by the shrine or something like that. And so Marathari was like, the only way to keep the demon from getting out and possessing someone else is to let it possess me, basically. No, it was... Be- mm. I, was was it Marathari calling Meryl wanting to go up there and just, like, getting possessed before Meryl could even try? I, th- I think the... that I think it was that, yeah. Yeah, like, because, she did it to protect Meryl from doing it yes. himself. Uh huh. Yeah. So, uh, the keeper Marathari has allowed Audacity, the name of oh man, that's a good name for a demon, <laughs> has allowed Audacity to possess her to stop Meryl from repairing the Alluvian. Yes. Uh. So that shout outs to the Dragon Age wiki keeps us going in these times. Um. <laughs> look, we need this every week. <laughs> Audacity, um, who is basically just a pride demon too, right? Like, yes. That's their sub. That's their subset of demon that they are as well. Mm-hmm. And oh, man, I, I keep thinking about all the the demon types because after having played Inquisition, now finally like seeing what an envy demon looks like, that was really cool and all that. Um, but uh, the having a pride demon show up here was like very poignant for me. Like I think that was the point where, as I was playing this, I was like, yeah, you know. And you think about the the demon that also tempts Meryl when you're in the Fade for Fainreel's quest is also a pride demon. And so I feel there's, there's like a very strong line here that's drawn where it's like, yes, Meryl like wants to be powerful. Like Meryl wants to do this for herself. She has selfish ambitions in this place. It's, you know, I feel like so often when she's trying to justify it, especially on the, the friendship route, like all the things that she's doing, the demon possession and the blood magic and all that, it sounds very magnanimous and very like, I'm doing this for our people's history and our people's culture, mm-hmm. but really like... She I feel with, discovers it. Yeah, with any amount of pressure, it then turns into like, no, I want to discover this. No, I want to uncover the power of the Alluvian. The Alluvian is my thing. You know, she's not very 
open to the, to the idea of maybe, you know, this is, it's locked away for a reason. Maybe you should not be toying with things that you shouldn't toy with. Um, and at this point, Marathari is just straight up like, look, uh, you've got to kill me now because that's how this is going to happen. And as you fight Marathari, uh, multiple people <laughs> that have died because of Meryl begin spawning as ghosts to taunt her from beyond the fade. Um, which I only, I killed this, at this point I was so power level that I killed this demon pretty darn fast. So I only mm. saw like a couple, like maybe one or two of them, uh, before I like assassinated him and did like 80% of his life. But, <laughs> uh, shout outs to that rogue build. One of uh, them is Tamlin from the first game. Yep. Yeah. You have Tamlin from the first game. You have Pole. uh, shout outs to Pole. Hate um, that kid. <laughs> we don't, we do like, not shout out him here on this podcast. I'm going to run back into the monster because you were scarier to me. Yeah, Vartero. Uh-huh. And, and even, even Marathari shows up here, which kind of like gives you that little inkling of what you are going to then realize, which is that um, the, the fight will stop and Marathari, in quotation marks, will be like, oh, good. Yes, you've stopped the demon. Good job. Let's walk out of here. <laughs> And at this point, um, if you are stupid, you can be like, yeah, sure, let's walk out of here. <laughs> or you can be like, no, you got to die. And Meryl will straight up stab the keeper. Um, it's, I think Meryl, yeah, Meryl gets stabbed here. Uh, if you choose to try and walk out of the cave, if you are dumb like that <laughs> and don't believe in demon rules. But at this point, like, you've basically got Meryl grieving over a dead Marathari, and you have the... I mean, you can either be like, look, she was dumb, I can't believe she did that, so stupid, which is, like, not the right response in that situation. It sure gets you friendship points with Meryl, though. <laughs> it sure does. Look, there are a lot of things in this game that... You missed the the week <laughs> where we were talking about how you could get friendship points with Anders for uh, selling Fenris back into slavery. <laughs> oh, oh gosh! You know what? I forgot about that, and then you mentioned it, and I feel terrible thinking about it. Oh yeah, no, don't worry. We'll talk about Anders in a little bit. <laughs> doesn't doesn't he clap or some shit? Dude, he's oh, the God. worst. He sucks. Oh. <laughs> um. Anders. Or or we can be like, look, you weren't listening. Like you needed. She. This could have been you, which is the the option I went with. I don't know if Meryl, you were being crazy, is a great way to go here. But that was basically like I was standing there, like, look, you you dug, you made your own bed here. Like I was trying to tell you as we were walking up this mountain, hey, this is a bad idea, and you're like, nah, gotta fix this mirror. And so I, I guess Ken, I'll bounce it over to you. Like, how did you feel at this point? <laughs> So like I'm I'm playing the the rivalry things so, like in theory I should be like talking down to her and being like hey this could have been you but I I think my the option I went with like she loved you to be like mm -hmm. a silver lining here of like this person cared enough for you to go out of her way to save you from this and maybe this is like the point where you need to be like like you have tangible well I mean not that she didn't have like pull but like the person who loved you the most in the world just gave her life for this, so, like, maybe you should just fucking stop it. Like, just fucking quit it. Like, I don't... Like, even when I've been a rivalry to Meryl, I've not done it out of, like, how awful can I make her feel about what she's doing. I'm like, I need you to see the ramifications of what you're doing, rather than 
Fenris and Anders who like both make fucking shitty comments as we're like over Marathari's body. And I'm just like, focus on the fact that she cared about you enough to do this. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, just think about what you're doing. Just make better decisions. <laughs> Heather, what about you? <laughs> um, I don't know. This whole, the resolution of this entire quest is very strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm totally, like, I'm totally in favor of moments where choices are made for other characters or, like, for the players, right? I, I think it's good. I think it's fundamentally good that you don't just get to come up here and slay the demon mm-hmm. or like or whatever else um i think that's good i think there needs to be some sort of actual material consequences here um i, I have a lot of mixed thoughts about it i like i think marithari <laughs> in doing something uh, for for meryl who she does love um uh, robs meryl of a great deal of agency in a way that always like i don't know how to reconcile my feelings with that to just be like oh no i took the demon inside of me and now you must kill me um (laughs) that seems wild to me right um because that almost because to a certain extent it feels spiteful right to be like Mm -hmm. well if you don't learn your lesson i'm just gonna make you do the worst thing um but also i don't know magic is weird and maybe that is the best way i'm not here to debate like plot points or, or like plot holes or anything like that but it's definitely there's something about this confrontation that feels really messy in a way that i think is good and makes for a challenging moment but also just observing it because I, I haven't i'm not playing through the game this or haven't been playing through the games the same way that both of y'all have um that kind of reflecting back on this uh now i just go dang like that was rough and i it's it's one of the moments i think where i actually wish um dragon h2 had a little bit more variance in its dialogue options because mm. i think yeah. a lot of the responses that you have to meryl here don't feel really sufficient um I, it's like <laughs> I, I i don't know there's some there's something here that feels a little limited that i wish was a little bit more expanded but you can't really do when you have a dialogue wheel right yeah it's I, I came away from this being like I, I definitely agree with the agency part and I, I think there there is something to be said there that like Marathari took this demon into her body like almost knowing that Meryl was not going to stop trying to build the Illuvian, that this was going to be the end result one way or another and to some extent I, I kind of like that, that it's this idea of like she is not going to learn until she has to lose something close to her. I mean, that's a very, it's a classic storytelling device, right? Like somebody needs to lose something close to them to learn like that, that they have been wrong. And I think I like that on its face, but I think even more jarring than just Marathari, which, you know, we've talked a little bit about how Dragon Age 2, um, I mean, Dragon Age 2 kind of mirrors Mass Effect 2 for me in some ways, and that deals with a lot of like, familial stuff like mass effect 2 has a lot of ideas of like mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and things like that you know thane and samara and, and characters like that i see some that, of that here in meryl and in and mass effect Marithari. 2 does just not to interrupt too much is that the one where jacob goes to the planet with his father oh yeah well? oh yeah okay. <laughs> no we we had a whole I, thing I, about I, that uh, <laughs> i could not remember if that was two or three 
Um, no, three is the one where Jacob, uh, if you have romanced Jacob, Jacob <laughs> uh, runs off and like has a kid with somebody else. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, this, got it. <sighs> really digging. But the prize. Some, digging into some oh, old gods there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I see some of that here with Marathari, but I think the thing that like twists the knife and makes this a little mm-hmm. bit more and and i don't know if this really like makes it better but it does make it like more memorable i guess for me or at least like makes it more of an emotional point is when you have to walk back out of the cave and all the dalish are there and they're like hey marathari came up the mountain she still hasn't come back down like what happened in there and like everyone's covered in blood which is like normal for dragon age you know like every cutscene you're already splattered in like gallons of blood because of the goofy way that blood just splatters over characters in this game but um for now the other characters actually notice that you're covered in blood and uh you basically have an option here to either like tell them the truth and they will turn on Meryl because they're like okay you know you are what we always thought you were and we're going to try to kill you now so if you want to live you're going to have to kill us or you have a third option which is just to say like I'm going to take responsibility for what's happened here today in the situation where like you can basically say like she's my responsibility now like i'm going to take her down from this mountain and if anything bad happens it will happen to me like she's not going to come back to the daily she's not going to come back to y'all anymore and i man like part of me is like i don't want to I don't want to murder the rest of Meryl's family in front of her and also make her an accomplice in that as well. Uh, and literally murder all these people that are just, like, here. And and also that feels, like, extra spiteful given that Marathari made this choice without thinking about, like, how the clan would react to what was going to happen. Um, or that, you know, they would turn on Meryl. Uh but also like just saying like no i'm going to take responsibility she's my problem now like feels really bad like i don't like that it, it goes from like okay i'm going to take meryl into my care and like i'm going to put my wing over her and take her down and like she's it's, it's just I, I don't know like the way they i like meryl's resolution more in the quest after this but if it had just ended here i would have felt like her story ended on a very strange and odd note of this character who tried to seek for power and ended up just like being completely shattered by it and unable to continue on their own and i don't know if i like that framing of the story i think i think some of what makes it awkward is because if that is if that if say this was the end point right the end point mm-hmm. would be somebody making a choice for her and then somebody making another choice right. for yes her. yes um right where where you have a character who and i think dragon age is pretty good about giving characters a decent amount of, of agency in, in in some of their uh, character moments, um, certainly far more in Inquisition, right? Because just the writing or the degrees to which they allow things to branch gets a little bit more um, uh, broad. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if this was the end of it, it would be Meryl wants to make a decision. Somebody with a position of power over her makes that decision. And then somebody else just assumes further responsibility and agency for her, which sound, which feels really bad. Um, there's something about that that's really bad. Uh, this is also one of the reasons why the ending of this quest feels a little odd to me as well, because I think it's cool to have a moment where 
trying to be diplomatic does not end the way that you want, right? Right. right. I don't think I don't think mm-hmm. that dialogue option should always give people the easy way out. And I think a lot of people's first um, impetus here will be to say like, oh no no no, let me explain. Like she was possessed. There was this thing that's happened. And if you say that, the Dalish are like, well that's fucking bullshit. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do we swear on this show? I've been swearing. This <laughs> yes. Show. Yes. No. We we okay. swear on this show. <laughs> so, but I, told but her I mean, to like, shut the fuck up at the very beginning. well i mean like because that's a total it's it's a totally fine moment to to have a thing where like you think it's gonna go one way and it doesn't because that's Mm -hmm. very real um people say stuff to to try and smooth over things all the time that's insufficient or they say things that they think are you know innocuous and end up being harmful or whatever right like there's that that's just a fact of life so to have that built into the the dialogue here is fine but i think um for a quest that's Meryl's quest, near the end of it, she kind of gets lost in the noise in a way that's kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think... I, yeah, the way the way it ends here is that, like, no matter what, the Dalish... This Dalish clan is always going to see Meryl as a monster, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in that respect, I guess, trying to explain it, like, even if they did know that answer, they'd still be like, well... Like her actions, like if she had never done any of this, like would Marathari still be alive and all that? Like, it's it's an interesting question that like leads into her last quest where you kind of go and talk to her and she's just completely like she had to kill her mother figure and her mentor and potentially all of her friends and family. <laughs> and um, here is where I think. I was extra mad that I went the friendship route because if you are friends with Meryl, um, she's like, you're just like, yep, you did the best job you could. Mm. You tried really hard. They didn't see what you were trying to do, but I do. So keep at it, Meryl. Good job. Whereas like, if you're a rival, you are like, look, this is what you brought upon yourself and you've made decisions that have caused problems and caused like people you love to die. So how much do you care about this mirror? Like as, as like a romanced hawk, I feel like you could even be like, how much like, am I next on the chopping block here? Like how far are you willing to go to fix this mirror? And then she will straight up shatter it and be like, that's it. Like I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. moving on from this. And I feel like that's a better moving on thing because like the last choice you have here is meryl's basically either way she's like i'm moving on what do i do now and you can suggest like all these different things you know study or or help people which that feels like a good thing to do but then and this is god this has been bothering me for a while i'm glad i can finally air it out (laughs) um to romance meryl to get the big old xbox 360 achievement romance uh you've got to answer her just stay with me and just be by my Mm. side and i feel like this caps off when i originally played this game i really liked the character of meryl i still really like the character of meryl uh but the first time i played it i did the friendship route was like that was great this is great meryl rules yay and now i'm like why did i do that friendship route this is a toxic relationship we just watched her murder people that she loves and we were like, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Keep going on. Just stay by my side and everything's all right. Don't worry. I'll take responsibility for you. I'm like, this is not a good relationship. This is a bad relationship. <laughs> this is, um, and you know, maybe that is, maybe that's something they were going for. Maybe that was 
I mean, in a lot of these, we, we've talked throughout mm. this podcast series where the idea that rivalry feels like you're challenging the character to be different than who they are and, and kind of like challenge their own personal beliefs while friendship feels like enabling their personal beliefs. And here is where it just feels, especially if you're romancing, like the most just not good. <laughs> I was When I finished this quest, I was like, Oh man, I wish I had gone for rivalry. This it's, felt really bad. <laughs> it's a it's a flaw in language, right? It's the same mm-hmm. reason why, as thematically appropriate as like light or dark side might be in Kotor, there's some mm-hmm. problems with it. Just like inherent problems of anything that functions on a karma scale, where um, you know this notion of what constitutes like because when you when you call something friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're implicitly saying that a friend acts like this, right? Um, and if, in the course of pursuing the friendship path, you're not necessarily really acting like a good friend, then the language is broken to an extent, right? I think um, this is why they try and do Paragon Renegade in um, Mass Effect, but even that's a little problematic just because of the term Paragon, right? Like, mm-hmm. that implies something more worthwhile frankly than renegade um even though renegade ends up being some of the more interesting and more complicated stuff in that Mm. game um that's why you know when they say uh, in retrospect i forget who it was that uh, but one of the developers said that like maybe like 80 percent of people chose paragon right Mm -hmm. um anytime you put something on an axis like this um and anytime those axes are uh, directly responsible for two very um opposite outcomes um, there's a there's a there's a loss of nuance, right? Like there should mm-hmm. like in an ideal world, there's a version of this where you can keep your friendship points up with her, but still say, hey, destroy the mirror, or or vice versa. But um, th- this is a game that's still figuring that out, that that degree of ambiguity out. Um, it's it's one where I, I think this is a moment where you see the bioware karma scale uh or like reputation meter kind of failing a little Mm. ken how did you feel about about this so since i was going through the the rivalry relationship she didn't throw in the mirror and it like we said here it's like it feels like the kind of more appropriate ending the one that is not enabling her but i never really liked the the path to getting to there like we talked about it back to the act the act two thing like i wish that there had been ways throughout Meryl's whole journey for me to be like, I am not supporting you in this, but I'm not going to actively take things from you or prevent you from doing things in ways that are, like, intruding on your own journey. That is not chill with me. But it also, and we talked about this last week, I just, I don't know how you just go for the friendship thing. Like, you see these destructive things that she's doing, and... You enable it because it's it feels good, I guess, and that's you know, and that's valid. Like, I'm not like trying to say like don't play games the way that make you feel good about it, but it's a frustrating thing because I feel like that nuance is lost in a lot of the choices that you're allowed to make mm-hmm. across the whole game. And you know, being a dick to her is the only way to like get to a position where she hasn't lost everything. Like there is maybe like hope that one day she might. Like, she won't have to live with, like, the regret of killing literally her entire family and friends. And is she the weird, just a weird juxtaposition? Because, like, she is, like, that very sweet, quirky character that 
had like you know like you said earlier like when you have this sort of maybe surface level readings of who she is like she kind of like it, it makes those decisions harder to make but I don't feel like the, the game has done a very good job with the story overall in terms of making a lot of that palatable I think so I, I have two different thoughts that I'm going to raise here one, one is that I think the reason why I, I mean so we, we, we went over that in her act two quest I did not give her the, the tool um, that would fix it but because I was 100% friendship already the way that the game just immediately locks that in like once you get there you're set don't worry you don't have to worry about doing things this person won't like anymore or vice versa and Meryl's story is very back half loaded like it is she has a very seemingly cool and normal like oh hey I'm, we're doing elven things and all that come help me do elven mystery stuff and all that and then it's only very much later that you start to realize oh we are getting into areas that are not good here we're doing blood magic and summoning demons and all that but by that point as has happened with me twice now <laughs> it's very easy to accidentally lock in that friendship and while i like the idea of getting to a point where you are so locked into a relationship with somebody that the minor stuff is not going to affect it anymore i think that also can do a disservice to those big story moments when you want to have those like potentially massive swings where like i think with meryl if you don't give her that tool it literally like flips the meter mm -hmm. and and turns all of that into rivalry which is really cool and i like that as an idea but it doesn't work if you're locking that value already right but that strikes me as just like a flat out glitch that's i i mean it's just a thing that's how the game works once you get to 100 percent with a character it's locked in either either side of the scale like that's wild yeah um it's like a known you know. issue too like that was a granted like this was like almost 10 years ago where like patches weren't as frequent and like fixes weren't something that people got out like if a problem came out like within a week or so you had a fix put in but it's wild to me that the game has been out for almost a decade and that was something that no one ever went out of their way to like change in the coding to make that not happen because that is like there's probably a mod or something somewhere yeah oh yeah i'm sure that, but, but like and you can change it manually too if you use a cheat engine so what about console players eric what about the rest of us well i don't know man just buy a pc <laughs> so, <laughs> some of us are playing this on our playstation 3 yeah yeah that's fair that's fair um but the other thing i wanted to raise that i feel like doesn't fit in neatly with the the quest talk is that because i have meryl in my party most of the time uh, as i was going through this act you know i hear a lot of meryl's banter and there is a very stark contrast between her like act one act two banter and her act three banter because act one act two she's very happy-go-lucky we talked about like the the varic dialogue that she has where she's saying like oh yeah just, i love to go wandering around dark town at night and varic's like yes it costs me a lot of money to make sure that nothing eventful happens when you do that um and you know she's very again like very just naive quirky all that and then the second it gets to act three and you have romanced her um she she has like dialogues where she's very like all the characters are all like oh man something's coming something terrible is going to happen like it's very um like final it's got a feeling of finality to it but uh with meryl especially when you have romanced her she's very much like I'm going to stay by Hawk no matter what happens. Like if I die, it will be at Hawk's side and all that. And even the tone of her voice changes. Like she's much less like, 
ooh, happy-go-lucky, I love doing things as Meryl. And she's very like, I will die by Hawk's side. And I'm like, oh, that was creepy. <laughs> like, there's there's an energy radiating from Meryl in this. Um, and so, like, I kind of like, I like the idea of friendship being this thing where you get to the end of it and you realize you have enabled her this whole time and you have, like created this relationship where she can't even see like how terrible the things she has done like because you've just been like good job Meryl keep doing it Meryl you're doing great and all of a sudden you're like oh oh wait no what have I been like happily allowing to happen there's there's maybe some interesting subtext there I don't know if it's even reflected in in the game or if it's just reading into it too much but Meryl's a complicated character (laughs) that's it's like the best thing I can say about her um and I still really like her character for that she's definitely still like a favorite Bioware companion of mine for that for how complicated she is but it is it was a lot like grappling with this character again going through this game again like years later I think more I think than, it's a, oh sorry go no go for it go for I it say, I think more than anyone probably maybe in the series I think she is one person that is really not done justice by the systems that they have in place and hmm. grant like Grant, we're about to talk talk about somebody else that I think has <laughs> maybe a separate issue on those on those that same sort of uh, those same problems. But I think not even just like in the glitches. I just think like in terms of, like like I said, Heather, like the language over the way that they talk about how these relationships are supposed to diverge and like how outcomes are supposed to be different. I just I, maybe like the story that they're trying to tell existed beyond the the capabilities of the systems. Yeah, and what I was going to say is that I think it with with all of those hiccups admitted, right? Because I agree with both of you on that front. I, I think it's still important to say that I buy into a lot of Meryl's decision-making a lot, mm. um, which is to say that I think it's easy when you are looking at her character to think of her as fundamentally mercurial or kind of like a comedy character in some ways, but she really isn't, um, like... I believe that somebody can commit themselves so hard to these ideas that they would make mistakes these big. Mm. Um, and I think in that way, uh, it, it's, it highlights one of the things I, I like about Dragon Age 2 in particular, which is that um, this is a party, like, I mean, we, we talk about this with RPGs all the time about like, oh, it's a quirky group of characters with flaws. But it's like, some of these characters have like real deep-seated flaws and like neuroses and stuff we're about to talk about the biggest one of them all Mm -hmm. um but like for meryl it's like for all the mistakes she makes i understand why she is doing these things um and i think the game um might condemn her in, in certain terms and the and the systems do a disservice to um sort of what's going on in the sense that there's not as much room for nuanced discussions with her as a character if you're going down certain pathways but i do believe fundamentally in what's happening with her um Mm -hmm. which is more than i can say for a lot of other games yeah this i i I like this idea that like it it could 100 percent be a perception thing that because she's immediately presented as this character that's supposed to be that like that uh quirky mage character that we overlook a lot of the things she does and then all of a sudden like we're suddenly recognizing it whereas with a character like anders um we maybe see that a little bit more up front because right from the outset he's like 
Hey, what's up? I'm a grave warden that put a spirit inside me. That spirit's name is Justice, and it wants to murder people. How you doing today? <laughs> and like, um, yeah, man, Meryl, Meryl, something else. You know who is something else though? Anders. Good God, Anders. <laughs> hmm. Um, so right off the bat, before we even get into a quest, is for for y'all was there like a switch that flipped when it went to act three that all of a sudden anders went from just this you know occasionally judgy you know shitty guy and you know he he had some pretty bad lines and like hey if you had him along in say this last mission that we talked about with meryl he might say some pretty shitty things to meryl right after she's done murdering Keeper Marathari, where he's like, well, that's what you get for doing blood magic. And I think he had a line that was like, what a waste for this world that um, that she died here today and not you or something yeah. like that. And I was just like, cool, Anders. Thanks for being here. You're doing a great job at the whole morale thing. <laughs> but um, it's something flipped with anders or he's just an absolute asshole in act three like just the worst he he is mad at everyone in your party all the time he always has a reason to hate somebody i mean right here at the start of act three he's arguing with aveline um if if you are taking that certain route um and he's god he just sucks he just sucks ken how'd you romance this dude I didn't. I told him to fuck off. <laughs> okay, but you did at some point flirt with him. <laughs> I mean, I, my hawk was sad about Fenris, so I figured that it was normal for him to kiss whoever else was there. Okay. Seemed it's natural. Your, your side fling is less defensible than mine was in this game. <laughs> I mean, Wait, who fair? is your side fling? Uh, Isabella. Uh, my my lady hawk had a side fling with Isabella, and that turned out great. They're yeah. total awesome pirate pals now, and they're gonna sail the high seas. And yeah, who hasn't? Right? It's great. What? what <laughs> Isabella still a great character. Uh, Anders, meanwhile, <laughs> good God. Um, so we go to check on Anders, and and this dude's just still super mad and angry at everybody, and hating life uh ken did you have any special stuff here for romance since mine was basically like go check on anders yep he's still mad okay good that's still happening <laughs> oh no we're technically broken up now so okay there was no none of that um but what uh, here here's the worst part we check up on anders he's doing great oh you know he's he's back to his normal angry self and then we have a conversation with him and he's like look you know what the whole justice thing it was bad never should have done it it was a bad idea hawk i want your help i need you to help me get some stuff we're gonna make a potion i'm gonna unbind justice from me we're gonna need some some special special ingredients you know some some stuff from the bone pit some poop <laughs> and um we're we're gonna put together a potion to to make this all right and as we're going through this mission i mean we go down into the sewers and anders makes a comment about who we are romancing at that time uh, i think we both got a comment here because mm -hmm. it looks like it's meryl and fenris yep. the elf characters 
let's put a pin in that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, she, for for me, Anders is just like, look, she's always gonna love the demon and all. Meryl was actually not my party for this, so oh, really? mm-hmm. yeah, she she was she was not there to retort. Uh, but my hawk was basically like, hey, dude, shut up. Like, I just, I love Meryl. Deal with it. Like, we're just, the demons part of the package deal <laughs> um but man that fenris comment looks real bad that i'm looking at right now <laughs> yeah he was like he says he's less of a man and more of like a wild dog and then fenris was there for me so he's like or i i, I said something along the lines of like uh no you you just you guys just don't see eye to eye and like you don't know each other's like don't worry about it and then and then Andrews is like uh he let one bad experience color his whole world you know that one bad experience being slavery <laughs> and then he then he like makes a a, a response or it's like oh maybe you need somebody more open minded and then I'm like we, we already like it, I think he says that regardless but like the fact that like he was there was like a stop on the way back to me and Fenders getting back together made mm-hmm. it feel like th- there's like a sense of guilt that I feel towards Anders which may color some of the mm-hmm. decisions I make later in this quest but yeah yeah it's it's a real awkward stop and then as we're, we're getting all these things together i mean so i already had the stuff from the bone pit uh because i went and fought the dragon uh, earlier mm. but um which is super cool that's that's a fun little fight and you get sick armor so you can look super cool because hey, in my in my mind hawk is always wearing the dragon armor like it's the champion armor you gotta wear that but <sighs> um as <laughs> we confront anders and anders like uh, yeah, so that potion wasn't really about getting justice separated from me, by the way. I was lying the whole time. Uh, and now I need you to go sneak me into the Kirkwall Chantry for something that I'm not going to tell you about, except that we've just gathered a bunch of chemicals, and I need you to cover for me while I sneak around in the Chantry. Um, oh, um, boy, it sucks. Uh, so I confronted him at this point. I was like, look, like, what what are you doing? Why do you want me to do this? I'm not going to help you if you don't tell me what's going on. And he's, you know, he he's stubborn about it the whole time. Uh, and, and you know, he, he's just like, look, just help me. If you, if you believe in mages, you will help me and stuff. Like, he really lays mm-hmm. on the guilt in a way that super sucks. Uh, and, and then you finally go do it, and you just kind of distract Althina for a bit and then he comes back and then you're just like look are you going to tell me what's going on and he's just like nope but look you've helped me out a lot and you've helped Dages a lot so good job um it's worth it's worth noting that he's basically the things that you gather for him are basically saltpeter and like yep. dragon powder you're basically making gunpowder for him yes yeah I mean like the the god what was the the name of it that they call it it's um Celepetre? Yeah, Celepetre, <laughs> um, which is a very funny way of saying, uh, is that, I'm, tr- I'm trying to sort it in my head, is that actually it, just saltpeter rearing? It should just be saltpeter. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, but it's actually also poop, which is why you have to go into the Dark Town series to find it. Um, yeah, and then you, you go and get what is essentially uh, Drakestone, which is basically like gunpowder. Like, you, you have made explosives for him, and 
to some extent, I like that Hawk is so dumb that they don't realize that they're collecting the ingredients for a bomb <laughs> in, the, in the moment of it. Like, they're just like, yeah, sure, Anders. I mean, I wouldn't want a spirit of vengeance inside me. We should probably take care of that. <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. But I, this whole quest rubbed me really wrong because it's this whole thing of him just guilting the shit out of you and just being like look well if you if you hate mages then okay i guess that's i thought you were different i thought you were a different person mm-hmm. i just want to help mages and it's like i i think we talked before about the lengths that they go to in this game to try and vilify mages to provide like a reason for why you might choose the templars and, and most of the time it's just like you show up to a place and a mage it's it's a blood mage now oh no blood magic it's bad better kill that mage now all mages could be blood mages so we should kill them too and like here it just felt extra bad because it felt like the the whole game really wants you in my opinion to, to support the mages and back the mages like they always ensure that you either have a sibling who is a mage or you yourself are a mage so there is always some skin in the game in that realm and having it just be this giant guilt trip of a mission for anders i feel like does a disservice to his character being this force that is supposed to be like the character that's moving the mage front forward but we have more to talk about in that realm so yeah i I, I, I was going to say, I, I just buy, I buy it, okay. is what I was going to say. I buy it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes sense for his character, I guess, but I just, it made me hate Anders more. <laughs> so, a few things. One, you don't have to agree to help Anders. That is something that I think is, like, worth pointing out, because not only, like, if you do that, and then you also, you can go, I think, warn Cullen, and I think you can warn Elthina. Like, there are people mm. that you can warn, like, it is... It is a weird... Th- and I, I guess it comes into the way that the systems work. Like, it locks in one thing or another. It is the point where, like... Maybe if, even if you are fighting for the mages, it leaves reason for you maybe want to be a rival with this character in particular. Um, but for me, I was... You know, I was full friendship. I had had that relationship where I made him leave the second he came to my bedroom. And so, like, there was both... I am... A ma- my character's a mage. I am, I've done nothing but support them this entire game. But I felt like that extra guilt, like I'm, tr- I need to help this person who I hurt, and that was that has always been sort of the story that I've written for my Hawk and Anders. Um, the neither of us did the rivalry thing, but I think this is one of the most the direction that Anders goes here. If you're rivaling with him, mm-hmm. get buck wild, and I mean maybe we can hold off until we get to the question of beliefs. Cause, but like, there are points here where you are able to at least push against what Anders wants. Whether that leads anywhere is a discussion for later, and the answer is no, it doesn't. But it was one of the most compelling play like because like, you know, we said Anders is a dick, but like his cause is just. Like what I I agree with what he wants, which is, you know, for to, you know, get rid of the circle and let mages be free. But it, I don't know, like I yeah, let's, let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's talk about like the let's, fallout. Yeah, let's let's move through this. So, so questioning beliefs is is our last Anders bit here before the finale of the game, and it's a very uh, it's a very dark way to end this because basically, so in 
in my path, in my friendship path, um, we go to hang out with Anders, and he's like giving things away, like he's mm-hmm. giving stuff to Varric and all that, and he's basically like, "Thank you, you've always been a good friend. I just want you to know that." Um, and he's basically like, "I'm probably like he's hinting that he is going to die for something," and he says that. Um, you know, like justice and vengeance and me are too intertwined. Um, and he's basically like, don't blame yourself for what's going to happen. And that's how it ends. And I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, that's a way for this to end. And again, this was a case where I was being like, this is maybe the game once again, like sticking it to me being like, look at what you did you people pleaser you enabled this person and you helped Mm -hmm. them because you didn't want to like be a bad friend but now they have put themselves in a situation because you did nothing but push them forward like that's kind of been my feeling with Marilyn Anders especially is that like by friendshipping them you end up enabling their own core beliefs and you can you can follow those beliefs to an extent but when those turn around and when you suddenly have to reckon with what that is going to mean for the world and for the character and for you like it's it really feels like this turn on a dime of like oh i have it's a feeling of guilt that is hard for a game to instill in me because like we we, we've talked about it a little bit but like the idea of like you know, a lot of games will try to make you feel bad for doing a thing, and then we'll just be like, it's something that you were forced to do. Like, hey, The Last of Us Part Two just came out, and Ken, I know you like that game. But, um, or can, can, wait, here, can, me, can, use... can we get a better example, which is Ghost of Tsushima? Yes. I don't know that example. I was going to use Are you going to just and... say, because they, there's a moment in Ghost of Tsushima where they're like, we think you like killing a lot. <laughs> it's like, oh. thank you, Ghost of Tsushima. Well, there, well, I mean, a... Spec Ops The Line is another example, like, wolfenstein is another example of like you have to do this bad thing no matter what and then you you are going to feel bad for doing it what were what were you thinking of kind of for the the, ghost the the ghost example is so at the very beginning of that game homeboy's like i will never like sneak around and assassinate people and like be a thief i am you know honor bound by being a samurai and i will only fight people head on and like in a fair fight when you do eventually kind of like unlock quote-unquote stealth kills whatever um he has, like, a flashback where, like, he's told by his uh, teacher that he, like, will never be allowed to, like, come up behind somebody. Like, he will face your enemy every time. And he has that, like, same, like, he reckons with that every time you do a stealth kill. And it's, like, but it was the, the point of this uh, set piece was for me to sneak in through this camp and get to the other side. That is what I think. That that is personally like what I think is more of an example of like something that is sort of trying to like force you to feel bad about something, versus something like The Last of Us, which I think, and I, like I've written about this, is, um, it's more about like you exist in characters you might not agree with, and that doesn't like you know whatever the thesis of that game might be. Like it does not feel the same to me to have something like Ghost of Tsushima that is actively like reminding you every time oh my character feels bad for the thing that i am being forced to do well, so, what there... so so i just want to speak up and say i don't yeah. think dragon age is treading in this territory at all no, i don't think it's no. interested in doing that like 100 no, percent. like i don't think i don't think we're in like an obs- like this is a bioware game it's not an obsidian game right <laughs> like th- this is very clearly a game where its moral structures are 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 like there's ambiguities and there's things that we're we're dealing with characters who whose behaviors we might disagree with or philosophies we might disagree with but i don't think 
um, with Marilyn Andrews that what the friendship and rivalry system is doing or what it's being set up to do is to make a commentary about the nature of certain relationships or like toxic relationships or things like that. I just don't think that's anything that the game is doing or has any interest in doing. Oh no, for me, I, I just brought it up because like it was a rare instance in which a game made me feel guilt about the choices I had made right. and whether that was intentional mm. or unintentional is, is another thing. But like, again, like games so frequently will tell you to push X to do a thing and then make you feel bad for doing that thing that it told you you had to do to progress and move forward. And there's interesting storytelling that you can do with that, but it's never really worked for me because I always just struggle to rationalize the, Oh, you know, you like killing with you made me kill to move further in the game. Like you put an objective marker over it and you said, you've got to do this to see more of this video game. And I hear at least like, I, I don't feel guilt in those situations because like I'm, that's when the video game is showing that it's a video game, right? It's like letting you see those gears turn. Whereas here I was making decisions that just felt like role-playing decisions for my character. And there was a completely unintended consequence. And now I'm like looking at this relationship and re-examining these mm. choices I'd made throughout the game and being like, Oh, because I was a people pleaser, because I wanted to always be on the friendly side, mm. be on the friendship side of these characters. Now I have to reckon with the fact that I have made those choices and these characters have made their choices and I have, mm -hmm. I've got to deal with the fact right. that that's where this has ended. And I think that's actually impressive given, yep. especially like we've talked about like Mass Effect for all the things I love about Mass Effect. I feel like it does not have that degree of a character made a choice and I made a choice, and now I'm going to see where those intersect. It very much felt like, well, Shepard made a choice, and that affected the choice that this character made. And I feel like Dragon Age meets in the middle closer. And I think, for to its credit, this in this particular instance, like you are given the choice to not support Anders, and ultimately, like mm -hmm. that ultimately that doesn't change things, but at least like absolves you of a certain level of guilt. Just like, mm -hmm. you, like you are doing what you can, and like the you know, the box you have been given to work in to not take part. And it allows you, I think it allows like certain dialogue and later points in the game to be like, Oh, I know I knew I was right to not trust you or I knew I was right to not help you. I think with Anders, one of the things that is difficult, um, or maybe not difficult, but I think one of the things that can be a sticking point with people is, is the nature of his behavior but I think that needs to be put in the context of the fiction, which is like, this is a dude who is just worn the hell down, mm, who mm -hmm. has lived <laughs> with, uh, and this is what makes his um, his lack of empathy for Fenris so fucking uh, maddening, right? It's like, this mm -hmm. is a dude who has lived with one form of persecution or like essential bondage for like the entirety of his life, whether that's the Circle or the Grey Wardens or anything else in between. Um, and I think in these final moments with him heading into the ending um this this quest can be frustrating partially just because uh, you have to engage with this dude who's just so bitter and so completely worn down but i think that's ultimately really essential i think it, i mm. think it means i think it means like i don't know i think i think some of the allegories being told with mage persecution are, are very imperfect but i think it means a lot for this person who is going to ignite something large to just be somebody who is at the end of the day broken and mm -hmm. worn out by 
social structures in a way that just feel it feels real to me like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know like i i've i've had a situation in my own personal life where i i i mean i still have all sorts of privilege now but i certainly had more when i was in the first half of my life before certain personal events mm -hmm. and then navigating new spaces where biases and prejudice existed it it's exhausting like they're like you lose pieces of yourself every fucking day um it's awful uh and so to to have a character who feels like somebody who's really just been worn down by that like i don't know um i don't like anders but i feel for this dude mm -hmm. so much um because he's because the, that's the rough thing with anders is because like he's right he's 100 percent right like this dude has it and the people around him the fact that the people around him do not have it they do not have that spark in them and the fact that for him it's literally almost a divine spark that these mm -hmm. other people cannot even connect to it's hard because you deal with people when you're in a minoritized group or anything else you deal with people every day who just do not see the thing that you see mm. or they do not have to deal with the thing that you mm. do and it dr grinds you into dust yo absolutely 100 percent. and so like the, there's this half of anders where you're like this guy's an asshole and then there's this other part of me where i go like man i i totally get it like it like and I think that's what makes him ultimately compelling. I think the things that I struggle with with Anders more are ultimately the way that they handle justice and vengeance, vengeance as like entities more than I than hmm. like Anders like raw personality. Right. It I'm almost feels of... like. Uh, can you? Go well, I was, I was about I to segue into like, on something. Yeah, because like that's one of the other things that is because like there are two versions of Anders that exist in this game, mm -hmm. and that is whether you're a friendship yeah. or rivalry, and like I think everything you say, Heather, I'm like that is all my feelings on him and all like, the complicated feelings I have about, you know, his, his methods and the way that he treats other people, you know, the, the, all of that is tossed aside in the rivalry path in some of the most profoundly fucked up ways I think this game yeah. ever handles it. And I mean, let's just go ahead and get into it, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's... Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. Please. If you are a rival with him and he's basically like frustrated by the fact that you've not been supporting him throughout these six years, uh, like, so you get sitting in that quest, if you don't support him, like, you don't help him get into the Chantry, he admits that he doesn't know what he did, really. Like, he doesn't remember what he did, because he's noticing all these blank spots in his memory as Justice is taking over. Like, Justice has gotten beyond his control in a way that, like, maybe, like, if you're on rivalry, like, you are, you know, going against, like, you're trying to not enable him, you've maybe convinced him, which is one, okay, that's, that's one fucked up pillar of this, um, that his methods and, like, what he wants to accomplish are too much, or, um, and, like, even in the middle of this conversation where you're, like, trying to convince him that he's gone too far, you need to just tell me what you've done, justice takes over, and it's like, Anders it doesn't need you, you can fuck off, and that is, like, w one section of how fucked up this game, and, like, I guess this is the point where, like, do we need to make the spoiler cut here? Because I feel like we can't talk about how fucked up this gets until you talk about the decision that is allowed by being in a rivalry with so, Anders. So let's say everyone who is listening here, who is playing along with us and wants to play along uh, at our pace. So if you have not played the ending of this game yet and you want to go in unspoiled, uh, 
cut the podcast here remember to head over to twitter.com slash show to follow all of our stuff patreon.com slash normdfm we will do our shout outs at the end of the show i promise um and remember that our q a is up so send questions in for that as well uh but for y'all this can be the end of the show for everyone else who is already aware of what happens at the end of dragon age 2 and wants to hear a little bit of spoiler talk because i think it's really hard to talk about anders without context of the ending uh stick around because we will talk about that now okay now we can talk spoilers yeah let's totally do this <laughs> let's Absolutely. get messy <laughs> Oh, Ken, go for it. Go for it. Please, yeah. Where do we start? Like, cause... Well, I mean, I presumably for everyone who is here right now, who is listening to us talk right now, they know that in the end, the thing that we planted in the Chantry, or that we either helped Anders plant or did not help Anders plant, was a bomb, and he blows up the Chantry with Elthina inside. Uh, had basically the peak of an argument between Orsino and Meredith that is going to escalate rapidly and he gives us this huge speech about how at this point you know he has removed the ability for compromise because Uh, there can be no compromise exactly uh he's basically like I'm sick of watching this always end the same way at least this way we are going to end this conflict one way or another there will be bloodshed tonight uh man he just goes he goes off in a way that definitely in light of recent events let's say uh resonated a whole lot more than it did you know five years ago for me yeah Um, why don't we just go out and vote and solve all our problems by voting eric (laughs) (laughs) why Um, would you do this stuff when you could just vote or join the circle and be a good mage or whatever exactly it's i mean what's your problem if you were in the circle and behaving yourself you wouldn't have a problem right um, it's it's so weird not uh, not to step on anything that you're about to say Kenneth but I will say it's so weird coming back to this especially now especially where I think when the time that this is written you know the the imagery especially of like mass property destruction is mm-hmm. still loaded in ways that maybe it isn't anymore quite frankly um in in terms of just like <laughs> like he, like he cements himself as a terrorist by destroying mass property right Mm -hmm. in a way that feels very prescient coming off of you know cultural moments like 9-11 or things like that and Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be a line that's broadly condemnatory for us like he has crossed the line and that is that and the question is not you know did anders do anything wrong but or like was he wrong in his belief but like how could he ever get this far and the answer is like man like what are you talking about like I would throw so many bricks right now if I could, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's how I feel in, in my heart of hearts. So when I say that I understand Anders, it's like, I see this moment and I go like, man, like that anger is directed in the wrong place, but that anger is real and mm-hmm. raw. And like, that is so fucking valid, like intensely valid. Um, mm. But it's, it's messy because the game is a messy game. I think before... Ken, I, I promise we will go to you next. I just want to, like, throw in on the property destruction thing. Yes, yeah, so this game, like, I remember when I played it the first time, I was just, like, mouth agape, like, oh my god, Anders, how could you do that? I remember, I actually, one of the reasons I would state for a couple years to come for disliking this game was, why would Anders ever do that? That was such a dumb ending. Why'd they do that? I mean, now, obviously, I'd feel extremely different, but... Mm. 
Um, I think one of the things that still strikes me about this way, the way this ends, is that it what kind of property he destroys and like who it belongs to. Like, it's it would be one thing to say like if you blew up the gallows or if you blew up the I don't know the um it's the the thing I'm I can't think of where the viscount is and all that um you know like a like a seat of government but this is the chantry like mm. this is the church this is the thing that like i think the chantry we get to explore it a little bit more in inquisition but the chantry especially in two we get to slowly uncoil just how broken it is on the inside and how it like has this very seemingly peacekeeping everybody's happy under the light of andraste look on the front but you delve deeper and you've got uh mother patrice and you've got all these actors within the chantry and within the templars who are an extension like the literal like military hand extension uh of like the religion in this game and and you just find like corruption in there and you find rot in there and so the idea that like this place that is not just it's not just that Elthina dies in the explosion who is like the potential peacemaker but also that this place that had been considered like sacred neutral ground is destroyed is like a very good symbol of what Anders is doing we're saying like there is no meeting place even there's not even a place where we can go where everyone can expect some level of safety and no level of like you know like we're not going to strike at each other like there is no place that this war will not touch and i have like lit that match to ensure it happens so um that being said ken take it away (laughs) so the i've never had it in me to do the rivalry path of this for all the reasons i was before um the thing that I find, I don't want to say it undoes everything that happens in the friendship path, but it is just buck wild to me that a version of Anders exists where he can do what he does and you can convince him to turn against the, the, the people he claimed to, he wanted to defend, yeah. the people that yeah. he started this for, the people that, like, the, the very liberation he is trying to do by doing what he's done, there is a, a scenario where you can convince this man to murder mages, to, like, put back, put, like, fix the status quo that he just disrupted. And I don't, like, I, I'm at a loss of for words for, like, even ten years later. Like, I just, there, in, in theory, it lines up with the friendship rivalry, like, way they, but they put that system down. But... Did they have to go that extra mile for this character in particular? Like, for all of, like, the... A lot of people, like, complain about the end of Dragon Age 2 because there's no way to prevent what happens. And that it that goes against, like... that. There's friction there with, like, the idea that these... The Bioware games, generally, are these power fantasies that let you just kind of do whatever you want. You can, like, any possible outcome that you can imagine, you can make happen. Any You, you can get anybody to side with you. You can get anybody to... Do whatever, but no, like you, you literally cannot stop this from happening, and that I think has larger connotations about like a thing that we'll talk about, I guess probably like next week, where it brings into question who was the actual main character of Dragon Age Two. Um, but then, like, if you when you add this thing they that you do with Anders when you're a rival, it feels like it takes away a little bit of that. Like, you, 
have been put in the situation by another character who, like, you were not able to stop, but by, because you were the main character who has the world circling around them, you're able to fundamentally uproot this man's beliefs and in such a, like, perversely grotesque way that, like, it's one of, like, the... I fucking hate it. Like, I, I can't believe... Like, maybe, like... Maybe now, like, you know, it's a ten, if this game had come out ten years later, like, the optics on that would have been different, and maybe, like, oh, we don't need to gamify this, so, like, if it if this character is going to stand for something and be a symbol of something in this universe, maybe we don't need to extend the power fantasy mechanics we have working here towards this. But it, it, I, I think... Like, I just... Mm. Go, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, think what, I think what's happened largely in the last... Uh, you know, handful of years, uh, especially in intervening years since this game's release, is that we've gotten an understanding that, um, right, ex- you know, games in general, right, they're player centric. They have to be because players are obviously the lens mm-hmm. through which that you're really seeing a game. I don't think I've said this before, and weirdos on the internet have come at me. I don't think games need players. Like games can play themselves, right, right entirely. Um, but in the way that we conceive of games now, it's like players are the lens through which we observe a world in 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 certain games like if you skip cutscenes and a thing and you don't see the thing that happens in the cutscene happen then like the game world will be different this happens in metal gear all the time like if snake shoots out a light in a cutscene and you watch the cutscene the the light will be shot out but if you skip the cutscene the light won't be shot out because our observation of the world is relevant is relative towards like the player's observation of what's happening um Characters in RPGs tend to exist in the orbit of of players a lot, uh, especially in Bioware games, where mm. the novel thing about Bioware games, um, not just Bioware games, because this is something that had been happening with Black Isle games or things like that for a while, is this idea that you can affect people in ways that aren't just um, mechanical, right? You can affect their, their viewpoints or their stories. And I think um, coming off of KOTOR where you know you can influence characters to walk down a light or a dark path or whatever i think there's this impetus to still have systems that have that same degree of um efficacy and power over you know npcs where like now you wouldn't necessarily have that where we acknowledge that like sometimes what what makes sense mechanically actually actually is for certain things to just not happen right Mm. this is i mean it's small but like this is why like you know, I can't make, you know, we were talking about The Last of Us earlier or whatever. It's like, I can't make Abby just shoot Lev or whatever, right? Because it's not Abby's character to do that, right? Even if I, the player, want to make her do something, right? The character mm. has a certain degree of ownership over her own actions and therefore prevents me from doing that thing that wouldn't make sense for the story that's being told. Um, in RPGs, this, you know, what what you're saying is correct, where it should be a case where we should not have, you know, uh, for Anders, a person who has made this dire of a decision, we should not be able to immediately like just run back that decision and make him do something completely contrary to the ideology and beliefs that he's had for like 40 hours prior. Like it's absurd. Um, and a lot of that is it's, it's, it's a certain lack. I want to phrase this kindly. Um, it's like a anxiety on the part of game developers or like an insecurity on the part of game developers that says that like you have to afford players a certain amount of 
choices or else mm. it's like rude to them or whatever but it's like you can be rude to players and if you're being rude to players in order to allow more dignity and uh, ultimately validity to your like non-player characters then that's totally fine but i don't think that bioware had gotten to that point yet and i right. think it's something they even struggle with in inquisition to a certain extent right um although that's not a game where you tend to change people's ideologies too much it's like i can't without saying too much about what happens later on it's like i can't change souls mind on a lot of stuff i can't right. change right. i can't all of a sudden you know there there's some gradations of that where i can have a say in like what iron bull eventually decides for himself but i'm not telling you know i'm not the one who i can't just be like iron bull forget all this stuff you believed forever or solace actually you're wrong and they go oh yeah sure like that wouldn't make sense um so i think bioware eventually understands that's something that they can't do um but here they don't and you're right it sucks because uh ultimately uh i don't know andrews is right again he's just right like mm. you know eric you were talking about him uh attacking the chantry and you said mm -hmm. you know it's kind of different if he had attacked um you know the gallows or something but it's like it's not because the chantry is just another pillar of the state mm -hmm. right it's like the templars are a militant wing of the chantry right um right so like where can he strike um partially he's doing this to get rid of elthina so there's not anybody who can mollify these voices in like a wishy-washy type of way because quite frankly i'm sorry she's a good person but she's not gonna make things better he's oh, right about drag that the shit out of he's he's, he's show, fucking right about that too he's 100 <laughs> like the, the the hard thing about enders is that this dude is 100 percent right mm -hmm. um uh and i don't like i I don't have an answer for like what could what else could he have done it's like i don't know dude like i think he did the thing and uh, i i i'm kind of glad he does the thing uh is where i've i've ultimately mm. come down on a lot of this the yeah, the same. way i've been viewing anders throughout this whole game because i just i noticed it early on and i think i mentioned it in an early podcast episode it was just something that i've kept coming back to is the idea of okay, you've got these sets of characters, you know, some of them are native to Kirkwall, like Varric and, and others like already live in Kirkwall or they come to Kirkwall of their own accord. But there's like three different characters specifically that are in your party that arrive from Ferelden. You know, you have Hawk, you have Anders and you have uh, Aveline. And the way that uh, you have your sibling and other characters too, but these, these three like stuck out the most to me. But um, the way that, they begin to mold into Kirkwall over time, like really speaks to how they end up at the end of this, you know, at the end of this game, because as Aveline, Aveline joins up and just kind of becomes captain of the guard and continues being the, you know, sometimes line blurring lovable cop that she is. And we've already talked a lot about Aveline as that character, but, um, with Hawk, especially if you look at Hawk as like a contrast to Anders, like a foil to Anders and Anders is a foil to Hawk. Like the idea that, um, you know, Hawk arrives and even though Hawk starts very low um, in Kirkwall, like rapidly rises up and then becomes ingrained in all the systems of Kirkwall, you know, like you have those conversations in the middle of the game and even near the end of the game where it's like, okay, you're the champion of Kirkwall. Like you are making decisions now. You affect the future of Kirkwall, but that also means you have to consider all the different parties. Like you're kind of playing the game, but Anders never has 
even the ability to play the game. Like Anders stays in the same place like throughout the game. Like he's he is in his clinic. He is watching year after year as the same shit happens and all his friends are rising up and starting to participate in this game and I almost feel like some frustration from Anders in in the finale where it's like Hawk Hawk has almost been complicit in in all these things that have been happening because Hawk has been playing this game the whole time. Hawk has been towing the line between Templars and Mages. Hawk has not been taking direct action to try and solve the issues that Mages face, even though Hawk has been seeing it just like Anders has been seeing it. And like I can almost sense a frustration between the two. And that's why I like the idea of this conflict that they have at the end where I mean you literally like have to put Anders' life in your hands at one point and like you will come to blows at some point otherwise and it it's just really I mean we'll talk about it more in depth next week too but I I love the idea of Anders as this person who has just never always been he's always been on the periphery he's always been seeing well, this stuff happen and he's he's at this point he's just like i'm lighting it up because there's no other option at this well, point within, this is the, only within the confines of the party that you have it's like he's completely isolated who are yes. the people who might who are the people who might be his allies isabella isabella doesn't give a shit like mm-hmm. she really she absolutely doesn't she doesn't quite see it the way that he does like she doesn't care for the circle but she's not going to do anything about it because she doesn't have skin in the game she just doesn't and then you know who are the people who might be his allies bethany maybe but what does bethany do she buys into the system Mm -hmm. she joins the circle and not only that she's good there she's happy there she completely buys into that system where in a way that if i was anders that would be the like one of the most heartbreaking things in the game to me is the fact that that can happen right that you can watch your sister who you've been protecting you know as hawk right provided mm-hmm. bethany is alive right. you've been protecting from templars all your life just give that up join the circle and buy in like that's fucking atrocious it's so sad to me um he has no one in the party that he can really identify with. Varric doesn't mm-hmm. really agree with the circle or anything, but Varric is also just Varric, right? Like nobody else seems to get to the point that he does. Um, and it's really sad. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very, very sad. I, I have a lot of problems with Anders as like, like a hypocritical bastard, but man, I keep coming back to it. Like he's just alone. And he has to see mm-hmm. good people that he, like people that he knows are good and could be better just either turn a blind eye or completely embrace this thing that has destroyed him and his friends like man if we see what happens when somebody's made tranquil it's barbaric mm-hmm. it's absolutely barbaric and what's most people's response like oh that sucks but i don't know one time a blood mage did a thing it's like it's awful um, I feel for this guy so much. Um, and it, it's, it, especially now, I think as I've gotten older, especially, mm. like, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe as I got older, like maybe I would mellow out and be like, man, surely there was a third way. And for me, I don't, I don't know. Like this, this dude is just wrecked and I, like, he's got nothing left. I mean, that's a little bit of the frustration of that. Like where Hawk is kind of put where almost like by presenting, the choice to the player of saying like hey do you choose templars or mages you've got to pick now it almost feels 
like insulting to me at some points because i'm like i'm picking mages are you kidding me have you seen the Mm. shit in this game why is this a choice like i like maybe this is coming from me like in inquisition i'm playing through and for the playthrough that we're doing i'm playing i've chosen the templar route um what so that was a genuine response from me by the way wow really that's surprising to me well i mean i'm I'm doing it It, for for the show yeah, okay. for, for viewpoint's sake, because okay. whereas whereas in this game, like choosing between mages and Templars really just kind of changes the order of events. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean that to sound choosy or anything, like no, or ju- too no. judgmental. I was like, it just, caught, it just surprised we're get, me. We're getting to the turn, don't worry. Um, yeah. For like playing the Templar path in Inquisition, like at times has got incredible stuff in it. Like things I'm almost kind of mad they left out of like playing the mage path and we will talk about that in that season when we get to it but also it just constantly feels like this this idea that they need to present this this two-sided story to it and the more i've played these games the more frustrated i get at the templar mage conflict and almost why i'm glad like i feel having now played through these games like i i feel with anders if for no other reason i'm like yes like get this conflict over with like it's not two-sided it's not it's a super insulting choice it's an insulting choice to say would you rather choose to side with the jailers and like the cops or would you rather choose to side with the people who have been historically persecuted for years like it's a no-brainer like as long as you're a decent person yeah it's it's been like a recurring thing that we talked about throughout like when we were in mass effect as well like because there is this belief that we should have choice as a player it feels like that is the it feels like that is the sole reason that a lot of these choices ever get brought up because the thing that seems morally sensible and just like obvious they have to add, they have to have this other choice because this is a choice that gets base game that is like built in from the mechanics like the genophage here like even I was gonna say a Solarian calls you up yeah. on a phone and says why don't you keep everybody like fucking like that's a hard one for me too yeah. And talking Morden out of that situation too feels like almost Awful. similar where you can like talk Morden out of yeah. doing this thing that he was all ready to like give his life for and like God fuck man. <laughs> mm. <sighs> I I don't know. Like so that's for me if I'm like trying to sum up my thoughts on Anders, like I know I, I spent, like, the whole beginning of our talking about Anders, like, man, he's an asshole in this act, isn't he? He is an asshole in this act. Um, and and there are times when I am just frustrated as heck with his character where he is just taking snipes at people in my party that I feel are, like, deep and personal and, like, vindictive and, mm-hmm. and venomous. And, like, it's... I, like, there there were points when I was playing this this game, I mean, like... In the case of Sebastian, I understand why Anders absolutely loathes <laughs> him and Sebastian. vice versa. Make and... a no! Oh god, Sebastian sucks. I I hated a choice that I made <laughs> for the ending of this game that I did because I knew Ken was probably going to choose the other option. And I was like, well, I've never seen this option before, so I might as well see it. Now I hate it. Um, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, huh, so... Okay. Yeah, no, don't worry. We'll get to that next week. Oh, That's wow. a little teaser for the fans at home. Um, but Anders is like, he's just a tragic character. And I mean, the the parts that I get frustrated with are what we've already talked about, which is like, A, 
his hypocrisy with things like Fenris, and then B, the, the kind of way that in the very like twilight hours of his story, they start bringing the vengeance stuff back around to be like, oh, yeah. well, he's got a spirit inside him. You know, maybe that's what did it. Oh, yeah, no. the, imp- the implication that maybe some of what he's doing is because he's giving himself over to that spirit is bad in the same way that some of the Meryl stuff was bad. It's like another case where a character is robbed of agency, where they mm-hmm. should have conviction to do something or or the, the level-headedness to make their own mistakes. The Fenris thing, by the way, is egregiously terrible. I don't know. How, I, there's n- no part of me that can understand how someone like Anders could also just be like, oh hey Fenris you need to suck up the fact that you were like a slave and like branded with like painful tattoos and a bunch of stuff like that's that that's a personality trait that's like the only explanation is that it just comes from deep pettiness Mm -hmm. Um, and even that feels kind of out of character like all these things are bad unless I can weaponize them against somebody I don't like right (laughs) but I do end up liking Anders as this character who is like almost you know if you're playing a mage hawk you could almost see it as like what would happen to hawk if hawk hadn't been born into the amal line if hawk hadn't been you know able to climb the ladder the way that hawk did would hawk have ended up the same way that anders did like frustrated and angry and out of options and just ready to like burn the chantry down and you know anders ends up being like one of arguably the most pivotal characters in dragon age games so far like yeah definitely making one of the biggest marks on the world and you know in a world that is like very well whatever a a video game series that tries very hard to make nothing matter yeah it's very status quo driven (laughs) yeah it's as he ignites global conflict and like you know depending on choices that the inquisition makes but even then like there's there are things that happen there that would change Thetis forever. And, um, you know, it's, he ends up being this character that is very tragic to, to follow. But I think it's because of that, that like Anders is maybe the character of Dragon Age 2. Like, no matter, you can't talk about this game without talking about Anders. And I think that mm-hmm. just, like, says a lot yeah. for all of his strengths and, and his shortcomings. Like, he is... He is this game as much as Hawk is this game. There are definitely some inconsistencies that come up. Like, I think it, when it comes time to choose what, whether to kill him and you choose to kill him, he can be like, oh, it's better. Like, I'll become a martyr sooner and stuff. And it's like, that, yep. sometimes the way that he talks about stuff feels incongruous. Like, sometimes he's just a dude who's worn down and wants to, like, like die, basically. And then, like, sometimes he turns it into... Uh, something even more political than he does at certain points like it's I wish there was a little bit more consistency in like how he he spoke about some of what he was doing um, even though I think broadly there's an understanding of who this person is in this game he's one of the characters in the game that you have such the game has a really good grasp on there are just moments that feel a little bit like mm-hmm. it feels very like that moment in particular feels odd to me because it's like the it feels odd for me that in that moment Anders would be thinking of glory. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it feels yeah. very off. It feels very off for, for him, for somebody who's just been like, man, we got to free people for him to suddenly turn it on himself. There feels very strange. Hmm. Ken, any last thoughts on Anders? Before, I mean, obviously we'll talk more about him next week because can't not talk about him, but mm-hmm. I mean, we've covered it basically, but he, he's just, it's a really weird thing to have come back to this game kind of wishing that I had made decisions that I'd like 
I don't know, like, maybe, like, it's a weird thing to, like, specifically be honing in on, and I was like, maybe I should have romanced Andrews. Maybe I should have had that be the story that I wrote for Hawk, instead of one where I, like, push this guy away because my, like, he was, like, supposed to be this sort of, a uh, rebound or whatever. Because I, honestly, like, the idea of Hawk and, like, my mage Hawk and Andrews, like, being these, like, fucking revolutionaries that did what they did and then ran off into the, not into the sunset, but, like, ran away and just, like, knowing that they had changed the world is really appealing to me now that I'm, like, ten years removed from what I did back then. But, um, yeah, I... We'll get into the specifics of, like, the fallout and the ways which I think the game kind of undoes things. Not necessarily undoes, but, like, undermines shit that Andrew does. But, um, I'm really glad that we have sort of recontextualized this dude because I feel like he gets, um... Probably earn, but like maybe not as nuanced bad rap in the larger Bioware fandom, and um, mm-hmm. I guess I mean I'm just glad to like revisit him now. He's he's a character that's, I mean, look, good characters like push you in some ways. I think to to want to like reexamine things, and also like you don't have to like a character or like them all the time to think that they're a good character, and I think when we talked about dragon age origins there were a lot of characters in that game where it's very obvious that bioware is going for like oh well everybody's shades of gray and stuff like that and i don't feel like they nailed it all the time like with Logan and stuff it was that case of like why would you ever make the choices that result in Logan being in your mm-hmm. party that sounds terrible <laughs> but um because with... his voice actor is dope okay that's that that is fair but buy um, an audiobook <laughs> with with anders like i felt this is probably the best they've done with a character who can do that who can instill those kinds of feelings in you and still like i mean years later just make you wrestle with a lot of things make you think differently i mean like for me obviously like i went from anders being the reason i hated this game to me being frustrated with Anders being the reason I really like this game. So I, I think um, I think in the moment a lot of people struggled with Anders going from Awakening to this and sure. how drastic oh, of a I change mean, yeah, it was. Something we have not talked about mm-hmm. since like the very beginning, I think is Right. I think that colored a lot of people's opinion. Yeah. Oh, justice. Silly, silly justice. Um that's going to do it for our episode, I guess. Uh, as always, we are NormDFM. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash NormDFM, where you can go over there and support us. Every week, we do shout out the wonderful folks who back us at a certain tier. That includes Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Reds, just, and Zach Mickle. Uh, you are new to the list. We are happy to have you on. If I got your name wrong, please ping me and tell me. I am terribly sorry. But at least it's not another person with just in their name. <laughs> uh, because I started a terrible thing and it just kept going. Um, next week we are wrapping up Dragon Age 2 with The Last Straw. And then we are full steam ahead into Inquisition after that. I mean... Are you not doing DLC? Uh, we already did Legacy earlier in oh, the wow. season. So we did, we did it at the start of Act 3. I think cool. just because that both like fit better because it feels kind of weird in a way to go do legacy after and also like i wanted to have anders along obviously for for great warden stuff and things can change in this video game so um and i don't think we're doing mark of the assassin is what i believe it's called um 
I mean, we already saw Liliana once, and we're going to see a lot more of Liliana uh, in the future. So, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, we're going full steam ahead into Inquisition after this. Uh, it's cool. Gonna be... For the rest of the year. Uh, yeah, it's no, take it's, a while. It's literally our our tentative schedule we have right now is going to take us from two weeks from now until like the middle slash end of december to get through inquisition look at this calendar right here it says four whole episodes on the hinterlands oh my gosh Mm. well we need to get every nook and cranny of the hinterlands (laughs) we we talk about it and then we leave and then we come back to it and it's changed yeah come back later (laughs) because you can't fight that dragon right away i found that out the hard way (laughs) um heather thank you so much for being on it was wonderful it was great this to finally have fun. you on the show for such a contentious episode of that, having it's... Meryl and Anders in a double whammy. I've not had a chance to have a good chat with you in a long time, and it was wonderful talking with you as well, kind of. Mm. It's it's something else. Dragon Age 2 is a whole game. I'm so happy to be playing it. Uh, I'm actually kind of sad to see it go <laughs> after next mm. week. Um, if I wasn't already thinking about doing... I mean, obviously finishing Inquisition, but doing a replay of, like, Vampire the Masquerade again, uh, I might be thinking about a Dragon Age 2 replay, but I have too many games I want to replay. What, who has the time? <sighs> no one has the time. In the middle of a I, pandemic. But I could just play Bloodlines again. <laughs> it's a good game. It's a real good game. But we'll be talking more about other great games next week on Normal <laughs> We have watched and waited 